This is Canada Reads American Style, featuring two friends who love Canada Reads and Canadian literature. Welcome our host Rebecca from Michigan and Tara from Ontario. Hi everyone, it is Rebecca, Tara, and Sarah with us today to discuss Canada Reads 2023, day two. So we're going to let Tara start, kick it off today. Uh, First impressions or any impressions. Okay, I'm going to start at the beginning of the show because that's where they let Tasneem, I think Ali let Tasneem speak first. And I was so impressed with her today. Like Mm -hmm. I was wishing she had brought her skills that she brought with her today, that she had brought them yesterday. Because I found she just argued for her book well today. She had great points for the other book. So I was wishing that we had seen that Tasneem yesterday. Yeah, I have to agree. I was really impressed with, she seemed, maybe that first day is just so stressful for people. But she did seem more relaxed, more able to make some points. And I think the first day is also difficult because you're really basically just trying to get your feet under you that first day. And it's almost too bad somebody gets voted off that first day. I think everybody would benefit from just a little bit of time and settling into it. But I thought she did a super job. I noticed that uh, one thing she said, I think it was uh, close to the end of her um, intro there, is she mentioned that her one goal or the one thing she wanted to accomplish was that, you know, one person picked up Mexican Gothic because of her um, her defending the book. And it, it made me want to send her a message and tell her that, you know, you've succeeded because myself, I, that wasn't just because of her defense, but, um, because I finished the book before the show, but I never would have read Mexican Gothic if she did not choose it for the show. <laughs> and I hope, I just hope she really feels that because she knows so many people out there are reading this book and finding a new appreciation for the genre because she chose it. And, uh, I think, I, you know, I just hope that um, she she will know that and take that to heart. Yeah, that's a good point, Sarah. That's a good point. Because by her choosing the book alone, people have read it. Yeah, I, I do think that's a good point as well, because I guarantee you that is not a book I would have picked up. And while I wasn't a big fan of it, over time, listening to the author interview that uh, I listened to from CBC Books and also, well, actually, maybe that was Sheila Rogers. I don't remember. But anyway... And also hearing other defenders talk about it, I actually appreciated more about it. But the reading experience myself, I wasn't that crazy about it. But I do think she did a super job uh, with the time really that she was given, ultimately. Yeah, and I feel the same way. I um, It was my least, well, my second least favorite. Um, it, it's, it, but I had so much fun. Like, I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not a book that I would ever go back and read again. Um, It's not one I would necessarily recommend to a lot of people, but I had a lot of fun while I was reading it and I had a really good time um, discussing it with people afterwards. And so the whole experience around reading that book, I really enjoyed just the book itself. Isn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't my favorite reads of the year. Sarah, do you think, and Rebecca, would you read other books by this author then, or are you, are you like done now? You've read Mexican Gothic and that was good. And um, I've had one of her other books on my uh, TBR list for quite a while since it came out. And I think it's called it's something Velvet Was the Night. I'm not mm. I'm, I'm not 100% sure if that's the title, but it's something like that. And um, that one really appeals to me because I think it's kind of a noir 
uh, crime uh, type story, which is not something I've read either. And um, the I think the cover is gorgeous. So she's on my radar and um, I definitely would read something else by her. Yeah. And for me, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think I would necessarily read her. However, I agreed with Matea when she said it made her want to read more about Mexico because that is exactly 100% what I was thinking as I was reading it. I thought, oh my gosh, the whole thing with the, the miners and how there were pits, you know, where they put their bodies and buried them and stuff. And I thought, okay, I need to know more about that. So that mm-hmm. actually made me want to read more of that. But again, that's completely not the story, the Gothic horror story that, you know, we were, um, that we read. But uh, I do want to say, though, I do have, I think, a little bit of a controversial thing to say. Mm, I like controversy. Okay, well, I'm not a huge fan of Hotline. Now, I enjoyed Hotline. I thought it was nice. But I kind of agree with, I can't remember who said it, but one of them said they wanted more about the sun. They were, I think it might've been Keegan, but they wanted more about the sun or something like that. And I think I really thought long and hard about, I thought it was a lovely story. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was really lovely, but there was just something, I just didn't feel deeply connected to it. And I come from an immigrant family, not recently, but I, so it's like, I do have that I mean, I wasn't the direct, obviously. It, was, it wasn't me. It was my grandparents and my my great-grandparents. So I can't speak to what Mona went through and that whole thing. But there was just something about that seemed, it was like a lovely story. But when I initially started to read it, I, or was about to read it, I thought it was more about the the relationship she was going to have with the people on the phone. So I kind of thought, oh, okay, this will be really fascinating where she's growing from talking to them and they're really growing from her her experience and, and who she is. But but once I realized, oh, she's not going to talk about herself basically, and that this is just a few phone calls here and there, then it shifted my view of the book. And then I thought, or I remembered that it's the author, it's kind of semi-autobiographical. So maybe then it was more telling his mother's story. So I kind of I, like I said, I enjoyed it, but for me, it's not, I don't want to see it necessarily first place, but I just didn't enjoy it as much as probably everybody else did. So maybe not that controversial, but still. I was similar and I really enjoyed it. Not as much as I thought I would. My uh, problem that I had with the book is I didn't really like the little boy. <laughs> so maybe if I had, <laughs> it sounds terrible because I really liked Muna. And I think if maybe if we had had more of the little boy, then maybe I would have liked him a little, like been a little more sympathetic to him. Mm-hmm. But I found him like a little annoying and now, which is terrible. He's what, five or six? Like he doesn't know what his mother is going through, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I, again, I can't remember who said it, but I think someone did say if they'd had a little more of the a boy, and even if you'd seen what he was going through, at school a little more like we Mm -hmm. got something a little bit of the teacher interaction with the teacher but that was with his mom there I think if I would have liked to have seen just him in the classroom I would have really liked that now I thought hotline was fantastic and I I Mm -hmm. think it should win um I don't think it will but I think it should um but I agree a lot with what you're saying. And here's why I find it surprising that there wasn't more of a um, 
of a focus on the little boy or at least a more developed character there. And that's because, like you said, it is autobiographical in a sense. Um, and so the author is telling his mother's story, but so he is the little boy. So mm-hmm. who better to kind of give some um, introspection into the, you know, into the mind of the little boy and, and throw in some, some, um, I don't know, some, some self-reflection there, or, or I guess um, just to add a little more depth to that character, because I, I completely agree. I also wanted to see more from the boy and all mm-hmm. I really remember, there might've been more happening, but all I really remember was that he watched a lot of TV and he was sick. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember yeah. anything else about his thoughts or, or his worries or, like like you said, Tara, is any any realization about what his mother was going through or appreciation of it? I don't know. And yet you think it's going to you or you think it will win or you think or you want it to win both or just one or the other? I think it should win. I don't think it will. I think it should win because I think the uh, that immigrant perspective in Canada is really important more so than the perspectives of the other books that are in the competition still. Um, uh, yeah. Greenwood was my favorite of all the books, but from, from what's left, I think, I think hotline should win. So then Sarah, if you think hotline should win and. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh my gosh. Gurdip. Nope. The first, the first book. Mexican. <laughs> so sorry. Mexican Gothic was your second least favorite what was your least favorite <laughs> my <laughs> if you if you're if you're comfortable saying but uh, you put it out there i'd like to yeah, know yeah absolutely my least favorite book was station 11 oh um i was really bored reading station 11 and i hate to admit that but i didn't even finish it I know how it ends, um, but I didn't finish it. And I'm not sure exactly why I'm, I want to blame it on it being me being in a somewhat traumatized post pandemic brain and body. So I, I think like I've had enough and part of me right from the outset rejected the whole, the whole essence of it because I just couldn't handle much more of it. Um, especially something that was that dystopian. So it wasn't even um, related to our own pandemic experience. So it was so much worse. And I think I've been through so much of it and and have so much almost residual trauma from it that I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And I do um, agree with Matea's comment she made, I think on day one, that it's basically the right book at the wrong time. And that if this were a 2019 competition, it, it would be a much better uh, pick, but um, no, it, it was my, yeah, I was bored reading it. I didn't finish it. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Actually, I'm not even sure if I said this publicly now that I think about it, but yeah, mm-hmm. I read it when it, well, I did say I read it when it first came out and I just kind of felt blah about it. It didn't really resonate with me in a big way. And for me, I would love to, in some level, I'd like to go back and read it and see how it stands up against the fact that we did kind of go through a mini pandemic compared to the one they went through, right? And to see whether or not I agree with that assessment that it's probably 
the wrong book. However, I will say this. I do think that Michael is brilliant and that he is because he's, you know, he Station 11, I don't think anyone has necessarily had a lot against it. And I think he's that kind of great defender who's whether or not he's doing it purposefully, I don't know, but it's like he's being very strategic. He's very uh talks in a way that his words have impact. Like he's not, you know, Keegan's a fast talker. I'm a fast talker. We say a lot and sometimes our points are missed, but he is slow, methodical in his word choice probably. And then he compliments the heck out of somebody's book. And then he goes for the jugular towards Mm -hmm. the end. So I feel like, is that a strategy? I 100% think it's a strategy. And I was making a few notes <laughs> on um, the, the competitors and their kind of the way they're they're going at things today and compared to yesterday. And my first word when I wrote down Michael Gray Eyes was just, wow, with an exclamation point. Um, yesterday, he was so low key and I was really concerned. Um I was wondering, like, you know, has he seen Canada Reads before? <laughs> this is this isn't how usually they go about it. But um, today I was completely blown away. Um, so I I think he is so strategic, um, and like you said, very complimentary. Specifically, I noticed complimentary of the books that are going to get voted off. So yesterday Mm -hmm. he was extremely complimentary about Mexican Gothic and um, horror as a genre and just a genre book in particular. And I think that was very strategic as well as today. He um, had a lot of complimentary things to say about, um, about Greenwood. And I think that was a way to, um, to ensure that the the contestants or the defenders, I'm sorry, that were going to be um, voted out would remember that and maybe stay on side going forward with him. Mm-hmm. And I think he's actually kind of the first time uh, that I can think of where he, the defender, has actually had the potential to change my mind um, about the way I felt about a book. And since I felt so strongly um, about Station Eleven being a book I did not like. While I'm listening to him talk about it, I'm thinking like, "Oh, what, am I am I wrong? Like maybe I do need to go back and look at this <laughs> book because what he's saying is so compelling and the way he's delivering it. I think he is um, he's he's a master at this already, and I'm really excited to see if how is that is going to play out in the next few days. Yeah, I not to be on repeat, but I agree with everything you both said and Sarah he has like he switched me because I I did enjoy Station Eleven I read it when it first came out and I reread it at the beginning of the pandemic so it's a book that I do enjoy but I did not choose it to win Mm -hmm. the whole thing but today at some point like midway through I'm like yep yep this is the book. This is the book I want to, I want station 11 to win this thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I? I'm like, it was like, I'm like, what am I thinking? That's not what I was thinking like two days ago or yesterday, but he has, he has convinced me and he is, he's very like, he's smooth. And then he (laughs) attacks because he like, even like with Greenwood, he did it twice once in the debriefing. And then once uh, during the debate, 
was so complimentary about it, like everything about it, but then was just like uh, the part about the Mohawk children, the, what he said, mm-hmm. what the book says about the Mohawk children. And he just like went right for it and was just like unacceptable. I don't like that part, you know, and then uh, in the debriefing, he was, it's a book about uh, white settlers, this, and he's like, I've read enough of those books. I don't want to read any more. Like he didn't, there was no holds barred when he decides to go for it. He's very impressed. Okay. So Tara, let me ask you then, did you say yeah. you reread Station Eleven bef- like during the pandemic? Or like, cause I'm wondering if you had that perspective of, of how, how does the book hold up against what we actually experienced? Uh, yes, I did. I read it in the, probably in the first six months of the pandemic. So mm. this is what's really weird. I've read the book twice and I don't really remember the end of the book. I don't. Mm-hmm. So I remember the beginning. I loved the first part on the stage when the pandemic ends. There's other parts that I remember. Um, the graphic novel, like bits and pieces of it, but the ending I completely forgot. And they even mentioned it today. And I'm like, I totally forgot about the prophet. I'm like, where the heck was I when I was reading this book? So I, I, not sure what that says about the book because I really enjoyed it. I'm also mm-hmm. not great at remembering endings of books at times, which is maybe why I can reread them. But so I can't answer that, Rebecca. I'm sorry. I wish I sh- I wish I could. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean I have the same issue. Uh, in fact, it's hilarious because when they were talking about Greenwood today and how it ended, I was like, "How the hell did it end?" So I, I literally, before this podcast, I went back and reread the last chapter and went, "Oh my god!" Like how I forgot that part. I think I was so wrapped up in Everett and uh, and Harris and everything, and I just thought, "Oh crap!" I couldn't even remember how it ended. But hey, I do want to shift a little bit and I want to comment on something that Michael said that actually kind of irritated the living daylights out of me. So, and I do think he's absolutely brilliant and strategic. So I, I love that he's on the show this year, but when he made that analysis or that, that reference to dead ducks and how the people who go to the oil sands know bet should know better. That really, really kind of bothered me because we all as humans on this planet and probably in every country benefit from extractive um, businesses, which doesn't make it right. It just means that it's easy. I think it's easy to be um, critical of something, but yet you're benefiting from it. So I always, I, I always, this is the example I always think of. Every most of us have a cell phone, and they use child labor to extract those minerals. So we are all guilty of, you know participating in that horrible cycle of violence and degradation and, and environmental and human. And yet, you know, we, we can sit on our high horse and point at other industries for being terrible and that people should know better. And why do they make their living that way? And I just have a real hard time with that statement. And I don't know, I've, I, I feel like he really me- meant that exactly how he meant it, because I also do understand that they're extracting from areas that are traditional lands. I get mm-hmm. that. Same here in the United States. We do horrible things um, to areas where Native Americans uh, have lived forever or were moved to. So I, that just really bothered me because while I think it's a valid point to make, I think it's 
it's easy for us to sit back and be judgmental, but we're all participating in this cycle all over the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think one of the big problems with a comment like that in the way he both put it out there and the way it landed is that it just, it, he dropped a bomb and walked away from it because he had mm-hmm. to. And it's the kind of comment that you want to say like, okay, wait, let's, let's unpack that a little bit and talk about it. I feel like you you, you mm-hmm. can't just drop something like that and then walk away because it does have an impact. And that's where I think it differs from the um, perceived controversial comment by uh, Matea from yesterday. Um, whereas I, I don't think that was meant the way it came across. And I, I, I think differently about um, Michael's comment today. And I, I think it kind of deserved a little bit of a, okay, w- what do you mean by that? And can you explain further? Because I really want to know more about where he's coming from rather than drawing my own conclusions or making assumptions about his comment. Um, I just need more from that. Yeah, but I guess I guess my point though is you know, when he said it, it it felt like it was villainizing people who simply want to make a living. And you know, I don't think that again, I, you know, there are moral implications to people who take jobs like that. I I get that. I understand the whole complexity of that issue. And I guess I think I like the way you said that, which is he dropped a bomb and then Mm -hmm. walked away from it. Because I think that's something that could have been discussed over three weeks, right? That whole issue. And that's why I sort of felt like, wow, he really knows how to land one because that's the comment I remembered. That's the comment that went unanswered. And yet it does make you kind of go, yeah, that's right. Those people should know better. And I, I'm not so sure if I examine the whole issue that I would walk away feeling that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I wonder if though it, people will walk away from that thinking like, oh yeah, you're right. People should know better because I mean, we're not thinking that way as, as far as I'm understanding. And my the commentary I'm seeing um, uh, on social media and it's not, it hasn't been a whole lot. I didn't spend much time looking, but people seem to be not quite on board with what he said. So I think that's why oh, I'd love to, okay. I think that's why I just love to hear from him. Like, okay, can you explain just a little bit further about what you mean by that? Because I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it, maybe he didn't mean what everybody's taking from it. At least I would hope not. Yeah. I would have thought that Matea would have also, she could have taken that as an opportunity to bring in the financial reasons, like the economic reasons behind moving from not just one province to another, but from one end of the country to the other, right, in order to find a job. And sometimes uh, you're not thinking of the environmental repercussions. You're thinking of the money that you need to pay your mortgage, right? So I'm surprised that she didn't bring that up either when he did make that comment. Yeah, exactly. Right in the very beginning of the book, I'm, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, um, Kate makes a point to say that um, Nova Scotia, but Cape Breton in particular, which is where I'm from, is a have-not um, community. We're a have-not island, and we're just so used to not having that. It's it's really it's really appealing and enticing to to see people coming home from Alberta with their big trucks and their you know, their mortgages paid and, and think, okay, well, this is my chance to actually feed my family and envision 
a better life. And when you're coming from that have not community, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. I, I feel the same way, Sarah, cause I'm from Newfoundland. So it was, right. so even though she was from Cape Breton, it could have been, and there were a lot of Newfoundland landers in her book as well. Cause I just, I was seeing it reflected like the Newfoundland experience of having to leave the province or to go on the oil rigs. I mean, that's another environmental catastrophe right there. The cod moratorium, like, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different kind of pressure that's put on people when you're in that have not situation. Yeah. And I think that's why, well, I cannot know this for sure, but I feel like Matea didn't respond because I think that the response would have been, it's about people's financial lives and trying to make a better world for themselves. And how do you equate, I want to be more financially secure with this dangerous extractive thing on uh, indigenous land, mm-hmm. right? So then you go, well, okay, now is that the, really the argument you're going to make? Which is why I do feel like he did drop that bomb. I love that you said that, Sarah, because now I'm yeah. going to always think of it that way. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, he dropped that bomb and I don't think you can really respond to it in a way because it is, it's money versus the other, you know, all the other stuff. And I, and I think that's always going to be a really difficult, uh, you know, thing to discuss mm-hmm. or try to justify. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and if you don't mind just pivoting just a little bit. Um, sure. Um, I think one of the, I, I'm, I'm going to call it a weakness, but don't hold me to that. Um, in Matea's approach to the debates is that I think they're, they're um, relying too much on a preset um, list of topics and focusing too much on that. And when I look at their face, it's almost like I can see them, they're thinking and concentrating about what they're going to say next that they've already prepared or thought about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And the result of that is they're not responding or rebutting, uh, rebutting, rebuttal. They're not providing a rebuttal um, to people that are making commentary to towards ducks. Um, and it's almost like not being right in the moment or that's the impression I'm getting. And uh, that's too bad because I think, like you said, that would have been a good thing for to, to jump on and really kind of pick away at. Um, another issue... I have, and I'll, I'll try and keep this brief. Another issue I have was yesterday was the argument about accessibility. And this comes up every year um, as a positive thing. Every year someone says that, well, this book was the most accessible oh, yeah. to people. Mm. And I know what they mean by that. They mean the most um, consumable, the most easily approachable of a book you know it's not going to be too intimidating the topics aren't going to be too difficult or the language or whatnot but in this case this year it was the wrong argument and here's why she or sorry they mentioned that um uh being a graphic novel makes makes the book more accessible to people um because it's less intimidating and in two ways that is not true and it's really been it's really been bothering me and I'm glad it didn't come up today because I was certain it was going to, but um, I know a lot of the audience and um, tuning in to this show and, and taking part in reading the books, they're not familiar with a graphic novel format and it really isn't very accessible. Um, 
in two ways. Well, one of my coworkers even mentioned to me she doesn't read graphic novels, and when she picked this book up, she didn't even know how to read a comic book, let alone a graphic oh. novel. She didn't know how to navigate through the cells of the story and the panels and even which direction to go. So it's it's not it's not always what people think is this is going to be an easy read. And also it doesn't translate to audiobook. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Or a um enhanced ebooks. You cannot um increase the font size um of this ebook and it's it's like it's a picture of the page, not an interactive page. So you'd have to zoom in and then move around. And just that fact alone makes it, in a very literal sense, an inaccessible book to people. Anybody with a sight impairment is going to really struggle with this. In that sense alone, it's not a book every Canadian can read, let alone should read. Yeah. And that's um, that's the accessibility, the problem with the accessibility argument to me. Yeah, excellent point, Sarah. We um, Jolene joined us yesterday, and she we asked her to speak about her um, experience of reading it because she couldn't get a hard copy from the library. It was a long wait. So she had an e-copy in which she mentioned that she couldn't increase the font. So she ended up taking screenshots oh, and zooming in on each pen. I know. I, know. <laughs> it, I don't know how she did it. Like I kudos to her for doing it, but yes, it you're it, correct. It's like, it was, it's essentially inaccessible to a large portion of people because who's going to do that? Even if you can do it, I'm not going to do that for a, a book. Just Jolene. Yes, Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate that you kind of shifted us a little bit there, Sarah. So I want to ask, I have one major point I want to make. So I don't want to uh, take up a lot of time. So I want to ask, does, do you, either of you, do you want to talk about any more about the um, uh, Defenders or any books specifically? Because I do want to, I do have a comment I want to make about Greenwood that is really important to me. I've thought about it all day long, but I don't want to jump in and just take over all the time. So I want you guys to also have, if you have more to say about any topic. I would love to just talk about Gurdip for a very short amount of time. Yep. Because <laughs> um, I I have just a lot of affection for that man. I think he's lovely and joyous. And every time he speaks, I just smile ear to ear. Um, but <laughs> he's not competitive. And this is where I think he's the weakest and where I want, I think Hotline deserves to win. I think if it doesn't, it's going to be because Gurdip is so many things, but he does not have a competitive bone in his body. And I think he wants to say so many nice things, and he's trying to defend his book. And he's doing a, a decent job, but I just think compared to the other defenders, I it's just not the same. And they're so competitive, every one of them. So Keegan is so fast talking and she's trying to get it all in, in one comment. And, um, and she's getting a lot of content in there and digging deep and making a lot of points. And 
you can tell Matea is very calculated. They're thinking constantly and preparing about what's going to be said. And um, Michael is very strategic. So he's playing the game and he's doing a fantastic job. And even when she's voted out, Tasneem is, um, is, is, is fantastic in her analysis. And Gurdip is, is so lovely and is making some good points, but it's just not digging deep enough on enough of them. And I think it's all coming down to, he's just not a competitive soul. And I think you really have to be in this competition. Yeah. I think you're right, Sarah. Although he has on both days, he has made comments that I've thought were quite good. Like yesterday, the one, um, in response to Matea's comment when he said that unless you're indigenous, mm-hmm. if you're in Canada, you are an immigrant and this, you know, mm-hmm. th- this experience, this book should matter to you. So I really like that. And then today it was in response to something Keegan said when she was referring to Muna. Uh, right. That, uh, that she didn't think Muna had looked hard enough or prepared for the voyage the trip here kind of thing. And again, his response to her was just very, uh, he tackled it. He handled it. He put it out there very quick. And I, and I love the way he, he does it. It's just very straightforward and he knows what he wants to say and he gets it said. Now, like you said, it doesn't happen often because he is so sweet. He's just so nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all, I mean, all that to say it's it's obviously working for him he's still there um and two of them aren't Mm -hmm. so it's it's working for him so far um my when I was speaking to um Rebecca earlier today I said like I think he'll get through day two because you don't vote off a sweet soul on day two he makes it to day three (laughs) but I think tomorrow might be his day because I can't imagine someone voting him off day two he's just too wonderful and you do want to see what he's going to say you want to see if he's going to get there so there's something really compelling about that um and like you said uh Tara he does have a few punches in there um he makes some really good points I just always feel left wanting him to take it one little step further and I'm almost like I'm almost yelling at the screen, like, come on, say this, bring this up. Just take it one comment further. You can do it. Uh, Same, same, Sarah, especially when he's given a time, like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, he always ends just sometimes even like a beat early or 10 seconds early. And I want him to keep going. Like, I just want him, I'm like, just, uh, just a little bit more Gurdip, but he's, but then that's his, that's his style. I think he's just like, I've said it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really agree that he is just a truly lovely human being. And I don't know that, and even the person, you know, how they, they had like uh, friends or whatever, leave messages for them. Even his friends said, (laughs) you know, you, you're just the nicest person and you're always about positivity, but you need to like really kind of double down or, I mean, he even said he'd still do it in a nice way. So yeah, I do think, um, People, we, I think his friends know him and I think we all know him now as well. Did you notice there was a round there where, um, he, he, it was, it was focused on him. So he was talking and then, and then everyone else took over and they kind of went around the table all defending his book on his behalf. 
and he was sat there and I could tell he was <laughs> kept preparing to say something, but everyone else kept jumping in with the <laughs> defense of hotline. <laughs> and I, I thought that was really interesting. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how to reflect on that yet. Um, it's something that'll come to me in the middle of the night. I'm sure, I'm sure. But um, yeah, he was just kind of sat back and everyone else was like, okay, but then this happened in hotline and then this, and this was great. And I thought that was really kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I am going to, I want to shift a little bit just to Greenwood and then I, uh, I want to kind of make this comment and then we do want to get our predictions for uh, day three, but here's what I want to say about perspective. I mean, about Greenwood and perspective, because I read Keegan said something like uh, that was one of the issues for her with her book that she sees that there, you know, there is a shift in perspective. She believes with the book, but that she thought other books had a, had more of that shift than her book did. Now I've heard people say online that today that she said her book didn't have a shift in perspective. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, please. That's not what she said. She just said, you know, the others had more, but here's why I think hers had the most. And here's why I really thought about this. <laughs> so if you think, no, really seriously, cause I loved Greenwood, like it's in my mm-hmm. top it's in my top 20 of my life. Like I love this book so much. And yes, I do agree with some of the flaws that they talked about. I totally agree with them, but it doesn't matter because overall this book captivated me and I loved it. But here's the thing. When it comes to the other experiences in the book, so we truly can believe, you know, we've read about people working in the oil sands. We can read about them every single day. We're aware of it. We learn about the issues there, environmental uh, you know, sexual assault. We, we, we can learn about that. We can know about that. Same thing with the immigrant experience. Many of us, especially in Canada, they said something like one out of four Canadians have, you know, are immigrants. So, or have that immigrant experience, I should say, or maybe it's recent. I can't remember the exact statistic, but anyway, we know and we can read and we can learn about that. We can educate ourselves about that immigrant experience. And then also the pandemic. Well, we've all now been through a mini one compared to the book, but we've been through that. But here's the thing about Greenwood. We are all human. We all come from families. And the most important takeaway for me in that book was that you do not know your own history. You cannot know your own history. And no matter how much we sit back and think that we know our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents, if we were told, like Michael Christie exposed to us what it probably looks like in our own families that we don't know. Because in that book, people walked away and their lives ended and they never knew the truth about their own history. And that is why for me, it was a shift in perspective because it made me think about how not just in my own family, because we had some massive stories that came out of our family that we did not know till my grandmother passed away. There's that. But then again, I'm looking at everyone's family. We are all in the same boat. And I don't believe that, you know, some people have that experience and other people don't. Because if you think about, if you were to ask your own children, what do they know about you? And when they become adults, what do they know about you and your past? I guarantee you, they don't know as much as we, well, maybe we don't want them to know a lot. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) I just feel like that's a shift in perspective. It's a human experience. We all have it. And it's, and it's secretive to us, but Michael Christie exposed that to us. And that's the shift in perspective that was, 
the biggest one for me in all those books. So I will end my lecture. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. And I think you're right. I think it is the biggest strength of that book. And I think it makes it one of the biggest strengths of the whole competition. And I wish Greenwood was still there so badly. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I really loved how when Keegan said similar things, although I think you actually articulated it better um, because she's under so much pressure and time. But I love how after she made the similar point, she then tied it all together by saying, and we can apply that as well to us as a nation and looking at our Mm -hmm. own nation's history. And we'll never know everything. Like we'll never know people's feelings and everything that happened in the history, but you know, we can, we can appreciate people's perspective on things and what people can share with us and then use that going forward. But we're never going to know it all, but we can do our best to learn what we can. And then, you know, realize and recognize that, that we also won't know everything that happened. I completely agree. And that is, I thought that was the most brilliant thing she said was in terms of extrapolating it out to the larger, you know, to the country, to the nation as a whole. And I wish she had been able to really hit that point more because I think that was the shift. And even at the end, when she said she felt the other books had a more of a shift in perspective, I thought, oh my gosh, I, you know, Keegan, I totally don't agree with you on that. But anyway, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that. And I, I'm sorry to see it go. I'm not surprised at all. I felt like it was one of the strongest books in the competition. I thought it would be, if things went sort of the way I thought they would go, it would be the one of two at the end, but it's not. And and I'm totally, under, I understand that they went after it and I get that. So I want to now question you. So Tara, I'm going to ask you what your uh, prediction is for day three. Who's going off? I think it's going to be ducks. I think ducks. Yeah. I could okay. be wrong, of course. But yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Ducks. Oh, really? You don't want to give any background oh. at all? <laughs> I want to hear why you think ducks specifically. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like they were starting to pick it apart, that it got a little more criticism today mm-hmm. than it did yesterday. Um, and then, and again, Hotline did not get that much criticism today, right? Like they looked at it, but they really didn't jump into it too much and Gurdip when they did like Keegan's criticism Gurdip had an answer for it and Tasneem voted for ducks today Mm -hmm. I don't know if she'll change her mind although I loved it I I want to know what she originally was going to vote because she said didn't she did she not say at one point Mm -hmm. that she she had changed her vote I would love to know what she was originally going to vote it's funny because I kind of felt like she was going to vote for Greenwood because she did the Me day too. before. Me and too. that's when I, yeah, I think that she, somebody, you know, they, they were able to convince her somebody's yeah. words. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's going to be ducks. I'm not sure that Matea has done enough to um, bring people to their side, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Sarah. I agree. I think, I think ducks as well is going tomorrow. And similar, I mean, exactly the same reasons. I feel like it was under heavy attack today. I thought Mm -hmm. with Hotline, I thought they were really stretching to find anything to dig at. And I thought it was pretty superficial. Um, And then they also, like I said, rallied at one point all in support of Hotline, which was weird and great. (laughs) So, um, 
And yeah, that 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 little little tidbit by Tasmin, she also and I'm I'm not sure if this is the part you're talking about. I don't remember her saying she changed her vote, but she very well could have. But in her intro, I think it was today, she was going to say something else at, towards the end, and she ended up saying like, "No, I think I'll leave it there." And she didn't there was something she didn't say. No, there was no that no, that didn't, that she said this other comment later where she said something like her, she kind of like, she didn't say changed her mind, but she said something where I went, oh, she was going to go in one direction. And that wasn't that comment though, Sarah, because I do remember there were two, it was, I remember that, but there was something after that as well. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I really want to go back and catch that. I was wondering <laughs> what did she leave out before? What was she going to say and then decided, oh, I better not. Yeah. In when she said when she made that comment it was it was very very subtle and and nobody sort of nobody kind of drew attention to it but it was very subtle but she did say that so at a separate time but um but i will say that i think i'm t well i will say this i i agree that it seems like ducks is going to go tomorrow but here's why i think michael will not he will vote to take to take um for hotline to go and here's why because if he's being strategic which i think he is i think he can fight matea on the points of ducks more than he can fight <laughs> our dear gertie who's the sweetest man on the planet and i think he could end up looking like you know like a monster if he goes for gertie in a way you know what i mean so i kind of feel like yeah i think ducks is going to go but i think michael will vote to vote off hotline because I don't think he wants to be standing at the end with hotline. So anybody else, any other comments you want to throw in there before we close for the evening? I'll just say, yeah, because I think you're right. He's playing a game. He is, and he's doing it phenomenally. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yep, he is. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think the smart thing to do would be, like you say, vote off hotline, keep ducks. Cause yeah. How do you, how, how do you vote off Gurdip? at the end like and how do you battle mm -hmm. him at the end he's just mm -hmm. I couldn't do it with a straight face I'd want to just hug him <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love how you're both talking about Michael like he's a like he's orchestrating the whole thing behind <laughs> the scenes like Michael is going to vote you're right he is like I I I that that's really makes me happy that you I love that <laughs> I just like I like intrigue and I and I will mm -hmm. say overall and we'll talk about this on our last day of course but I think overall it's been it's you know last year was just so vibrant with um the I mean just everything it was just such a vibrant discussion last year and this year it's been a little less than that I've really enjoyed it but yeah that's why I'm looking for a little intrigue and I think Michael is giving us some you know, he's giving us a little bit of that anyway. So, well, oh, Sarah, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to ask you guys um, very, very quickly. What do you think about the fashion this year? Because I love Canada Reads fashion. Yeah, I, you know, they had a, on, I think it was, it must've been on CBC books on, on Instagram. They showed every, what everybody was wearing. And I, and I was kind of feeling the same way, but I have to say Keegan, Pink and red. She killed it. I've got to say that was a mm -hmm. bold choice, but she killed it. Um, same thing. Unfortunately, I'm because I'm working during the day, so I've been listening to it and not getting the full visual of Canada Reads. So it's just been little snippets on Instagram. But yes, that pink and red today 
was amazing. Her green dress yesterday. Oh, yeah. I amazing. Like, uh, yeah, she's killing it. And I loved Ali's shirt today, too. I thought he was oh, yeah. rocking a I, black and white shirt thing. Going. Yep. Yeah. I love that, too. All right. Well, hey, you guys, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much. I think it's really fun. So you have our predictions for tomorrow. We look forward to chatting with you again uh, or talking with you, everybody, about this thing that we call Canada Reads that we all love. And uh, tomorrow, day three. So thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on our bookish journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing Canada Reads American Style wherever you listen. You can connect with the podcast and Rebecca on Instagram at Canada Reads American Style and with Tara at On a Branch Reads. Until next time, keep reading.